Hi guys, welcome to Talking Strongman. I'm absolutely honoured to be joined by the 2006 World's Strongest Man, Mr. Phil Fister. How's things, Phil? Larry, baby. <laughs> we're back. We're back in the same screen. How's things? You good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, suffering the pandemic beautifully, yeah. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been one hell of a year. But uh, I see you've still got some weights in the background there, so you, you're still training? You know, I've never had much of a home gym. I, you know, I had a pretty good collection of strongman equipment, but um, once the gyms kind of shut down at the beginning of the year, you know, it's like, oh, shit, i got to kind of round up a few odd bits. And, uh, you know, and only in the last week or so did I try finally drag this stuff inside. And, you know, it was almost more for my girlfriend than me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've not I've not been a serious uh, strength enthusiast or practitioner rather since retiring from from competition. You know, really, so you just I kept up with intermittently, but I'm I'm a shadow of my former self. Oh, you're still looking pretty good there. Well, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm uh, not far from the body weight 101, but. Uh, the, the body weight's close to the same, but not much else. <laughs> <laughs> the strength level not quite the same, no. Yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting. I think after after like athletes retire, some some want to keep training. Others they sort of lose that passion as well. I mean, you you seemed that when you were doing strongman, you loved the challenge of the awkward type of events. You didn't seem like the the gym type training seemed. You know, you didn't seem so fussed on that side of it, did you? Exactly, exactly. In fact, my my first years were really dominated with event training and spent very little time in the gym and then you know there's only so much event training you can do before you get all the competency and but I, I think the foundation of my strength really was laid in with uh, with the event training more yeah. so than the gym work and then it kind of filled in the gaps a bit more and tried to build a bit more of the foundation later with, yeah you, with you, you, it was definitely noticeable to see. I mean, I've been lucky enough to watch your, your, your career as a big fan before, you know, I got involved in Strongman myself uh, and then obviously competed a few times. I think my first ever Worlds, actually, you were, you know, um, heavily involved in, in um, West Virginia. That was a 2008 World's Strongest Man. 2008, yeah. That was my I, very first. We were uh, in my last Worlds, 2009, as a competitor. Uh, you did really well in the farmer's carry. Right? Yeah, it was my first final, the 2009. You uh, take second or third in the farmer? I think I was, yeah, Mario. second or third. Marius was really fast. And then I'm not sure if it was me or Zadrunas took second. So I, I was pretty pretty dismayed that all you guys smoked this this old man here, you know. <laughs> I think it was second, maybe something like that. It was, um, yeah, it was my first big performance. I think uh, a world's strongest man. But I want to go back to to your. Well, I want you to take me back to what got you into training in the first place. I mean, did you did you watch Strongman as a, as a youngster, or was it something that you just kind of came upon later in life? On a shelter trauma, you know, I've, I've got a brother that's uh, um, nine years older than I am. He was born in '62. I was born in '90 or '71, rather. And uh, he was into bodybuilding and was very athletic and very intelligent and um, very strong and very fit and and uh, gymnasts and all these kinds of things and a swimmer and a bicycler and and uh, had a pretty good presence at the, the local gym and uh, you know so I'd see the Arnold Schwarzenegger pictures in the magazines when I was a little kid and kind of be blown away with it but 
I never got really in, into weights until uh, didn't really have much chance really um, until uh, I was 21. I joined a little gym, and it was some years after that that I saw Strongman really for the first time that I could remember in the mid 1990s on ESPN. Okay. And I thought, well, if I was ever a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, I'd love to do that. And I'm really sure that I could beat a lot of those guys in a lot of those events. You know, I didn't necessarily think I could beat all of them in all of the events, but I, I knew that I had a shot. So then a few years later, when I was 27, I was in a small powerlifting gym, kind of what you might call a key club gym. Um, you know, all the members had a key. And one of the guys that organized the gym, John Messenger, put up a photocopy that was in Powerlifting USA, photocopy to Paige, for Strongest Man Alive in 1998 in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, Ahola had just won World's Strongest Man in 97, and he came over for that. And uh, he and I battled it out a little bit for the top spot, or he kind of smoked me, really. <laughs> but uh, he and I became, became quick friends. Um, Let's see. Uh, but anyway, that's that's kind of how it all got started. I saw that photocopy in the gym, and some of the guys said, oh, Fister, you need to try that stuff. So I went out to a practice session in May of 98 for this contest. And um, five months later, I was at Worlds. Wow. And, uh, I put fourth in the world. So it was, it was kind of a quick, steep learning curve that, that worked out. <clears throat> you, you, were, you had so much natural strength, didn't you? It was... To, to to be able to just step in like that a few months training it, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a bit of a mutant um you know one time sven carlson marius and i were in in uh in columbus ohio for the arnold strongest fan and uh we, we'd gone out to get some sushi and uh, i drove and you know we were talking to the waiter and uh sven was like you know talking to the waiter who was really interested in all this stuff, interested in, in the three of us. And, uh, you know, he was explaining to the waiter that they were, you know, full-time serious professional strongman. And for me, that was just a hobby. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's strongman is just so mind blowing. And uh, to be able to compete with the strongest men in the world um, who will do anything and everything to try to win or try to push themselves it's just very, very humbling to be able to share, share that stage and actually be competitive. And if I'm fortunate enough to go out and emcee a, um, a, a contest, a small contest or something, you know, all of those guys that show up on a weekend, you know, pay their 50 or 100 bucks to be there, you know, drive for hours and pay for a hotel and food and all that, you know, they're dropping 500 or 1,000 bucks yeah. just to go out and you know, test themselves in front of the public. That's, that's a lot of courage. You know, that's really putting yourself out there. I think that's kind of very heroic and very humbling. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What was the question? Oh, it was just, we're just kind of trying to figure out what, what got you into this sport in the first place, but I like where we go. This is when I, when I chat to people, I just let it flow is it's not like a set of listed questions. We are just having a chat. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like six hours later. Question, but, um, you know, how did I get, get into it? I guess growing up, I always felt that I was very athletic and very strong, um, but I never really found my niche. Uh, did you do sports before you got into strongman? A lot of football or basketball. I did have some interest in it, but, you know, like as a little kid, I got stuck on the, on the line 
in football and you just smash into the other guy over and over again and never get much glory or credit and kind of old and you get your fingers smashed up and fractured and broken and you know coaching in general is just so abysmal you know so if you have a great coach count yourself as fortunate and I, I think you almost have to have a, a good coach a good mentor to really pull you aside and develop your your potential and that never really happened to me uh, with basketball or with football or anything like that or baseball and that wasn't really something I grew up with all the time on the television in my home and you know my pop and mom didn't drag me to all those practices so yeah. um I grew up with uh BMX bikes and skateboards and I built a half pipe when I was uh like uh 15 years old little giant half pipe in my backyard and um I'd love to see you on a skateboard Phil <laughs> I built another half pipe 30 years later. I didn't get the dimensions right this time. I kind of overbuilt it, overscaled it. So uh, it's not as useful as the old one was. But um, anyway, I always knew I was athletic. I always knew I was strong. But I never really found my niche athletically. You know, I was into things like rock climbing and kicking hacky sack and snowboarding and jet skiing and cool, fun stuff, you know, yeah. as a teenager and a young man. But um Never anything competitively until strongman. That's yeah, cool, though. Things like rock climbing is going to cross over well to strongman. It's just going to help with that grip strength and upper body strength. Although when you add those 50 or 100 pounds, you can't rock climb. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I did a lot of rock climbing as a kid, so a long, long time ago. And then I tried to do some just, you know, wall climbing a couple of years back. It was not a good idea. <laughs> Being about 350-odd pounds, I think I was at the time. I was, um, it's very different to when you're, you're a youngster and you can just scale up those walls, you know. <laughs> it's the body weight. The body weight for, for us becomes an issue i mean i i did a lot of sports before i did strongman uh one of which which kind of makes a lot of people laugh is table tennis and i i i had to I like a little cracked ping pong ping pong yes ping pong or whiff waff some people call it um but i was i was having a little practice with some friends a few years later and because of the extra muscle mass that we hold literally doing about 10 shots. I was just getting like shoulder pump. I just couldn't play to, to the same level that I could when I was younger. But we, we end up training for specifically for, for what we're focusing on. And you obviously took Strongman very seriously once you, you got involved in it. I think, I mean, you say five months of training and you were competing in, in World Strongest Man. Yeah, my, my first contest ever was in Iowa. It was Paul Armstrong's Extreme Strongman Challenge. And it was kind of a thing to um, stand in for the contest that got postponed that I first told you about, that Ahola and I were in. Um, that was scheduled for summer 98, and there was some flooding in St. Louis, so they couldn't okay. hold it. It was going to be held outside, so the guy ended up postponing it from summer until November. And um, so in the mean meantime, there had been a lot of interest generated. Uh, so this other fellow stepped up to kind of fill the gap as it were. And I got to win that contest and Whit Baskin and Brian Neese were there. And there was, there was a handful of other really good athletes that never really um, got much notice and, you know, kind of fizzled out. But uh, Vi Mafuni was a Samoan guy and, you know, there were some other guys. And then um, Jim Davis came along and he hosted the second contest like a month after Paul Armstrong. Um, 
And Jim would go on to host many, many contests in the U.S. and help organize kind of a team of promoters. And in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, we actually had a nice little circuit in the U.S. of three, four, five, six contests a year where, you know, the first place guy could go home with four or $5,000. Um, you know, and even second place, you might go, go away with three or 4,000. Um, it's so not bad to be honest, because it's been, it's only very recently, like top level has, has got a bit better than that. <laughs> so, uh, 20 years later when, when those yeah. clubs aren't worth as much either. So that's yeah. yeah, is definitely a very bittersweet sport, but, those were the first two contests. Um, Worlds was the third. So after winning those first two contests, I got invited to Worlds in October. I think I had something like 11 days notice from the time they called me till the time I was to show up in Tangier, Morocco. And I actually did not make it through my qualifying round. I was in a group with Yanni Vertanen and Torfi Olofsson and some Russian gentleman whom I can't remember. There were actually 10 groups of four. In, in that I remember, group. yeah, yeah. And uh, Torfi Olofsson from Iceland made it through. And then, so I'd planned, I'd, I'd uh, done enough fundraising back home to plan to stay there no matter what and learn all I could. So I stayed on even though they'd already flown home the guys that hadn't made the finals. And I was staying there on my own dime. And I show up for the morning of the finals as a spectator and uh, Fleming Rasmussen was ill. And he'd point his group, and they said, hey, do you want to beat the alternate and take Fleming's spot? And I was like, yeah. So. <laughs> and, and that was, you know, probably the toughest year in terms of uh, – Was this that. the year that everyone got ill? Yeah, everyone got sick from just the sanitary conditions in Morocco were, were horrible and the food and all that kind of stuff. And uh, also there were a lot of injuries as well. Yeah. A lot of injuries and a lot of illness. So I ended up fourth, fourth in the final. So fourth at your first ever World Strongest Man. Three contests in. I was going there to win though. So you know, fourth. So it was disappointing. <laughs> well, you, you obviously you always had that confidence in yourself. I remember I think it was two thousand and one with yourself oh. doing the, the Hercules hold. Is that famous you you're there and you the backstory on that is um I was I was really kind of pissed off. You know, because World's Strongest Man, owned by IMG, biggest sports marketing company in the world. Where's the money? You know, they're, they're selling this program all the way around the world to like 100 countries. And, you know, there wasn't any trickle down to the guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you were fortunate enough to win World's Strongest Man, at that time you could go home with like twenty or $25,000. But if you were just like the – 15th place golfer in the world you go home with a million or two million dollars <laughs> yeah. in one weekend so it just didn't seem right and 2001 was just after 9-11 in the u.s when the trade centers came down yeah. and um so there weren't a lot of people who were super keen to fly because of sure. that yeah. so here we were in the middle of nowhere zambia just six weeks after 9-11 and i'd said in the athletes meeting that the production folks have with all the guys saying, welcome, you know, do you have any questions? Here's how it all works. I stood up and I said, you know, how about a little trickle down economics? How about taking care of us? And um, so Jamie Reeves, a few days later, in the qualifying rounds, you know, we're standing around chatting. Jamie, of course, the 89 world's strongest man from, from UK and yep. Britain and, uh, and the equipment manager. And uh, 
you know, responsible for handling all the equipment and, and, uh, and he and I had gotten to be pretty good friends and, you know, he's got a great sense of humor. So he's giving me shit, you know, about the, the little speech I made and, you know, I'm getting ready to do the Hercules hold and he's like, Oh, why don't you give a little speech? You know, <laughs> he's just messing with me. And, uh, but it, it kind of got the wheels turning and I was like, yeah, 15 seconds of fame. I had no idea what I was going to say. So, and, but I practiced the hell out of the Hercules hold. I had a nice rig at home for it. And, um, so I was actually the last guy to go in my group. When they edited it for the U.S. market, it looks like I'm one of the first guys to go. But being the last guy to go, I knew the mark to beat. So I knew if I got to 45 seconds, I'd take bursts and get all the yeah. points in that event and help my chances going to the final. So if you'll notice in the video, when I get to 45 seconds, I kind of actually stand up a bit straighter and, and the handles come in a little bit. <laughs> and... Um, you know, my mind kind of goes in a different place and uh, only let go of the handles when I ran out of shit to say. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have kept holding it. Amen. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I didn't know that backstory. I, I thought it was you trying to almost distract yourself because sometimes when you do a Hercules hold, it's very painful. You can feel that pain. But sometimes if you do something like that, you start talking, you distract yourself from that pain. I didn't know if it was like a tactic in that respect, or I didn't realize you, you'd already kind of beaten the time. And well, if, if I just had more to say, you know, it would have been. <laughs> so you need, you need, you need the Hercules holding a final then. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have, have you seen the last couple of years, the, the Giants live have a Hercules hold and um, Magnus Ver and Kaz both had a go on it. Do you, yeah. fancy, do you fancy coming out and, um, and having a go on that one day? Well, if, if given proper notice, perhaps, yes. Yeah. You know, I, I've got this sick, uh, grandiose fantasy that, you know, someday I might return to Strongman, but uh, do it some of the, doesn't last very long. Do, do some of the master's comps. Yeah, something, or just come back and at least try to make it to the finals of Worlds again. Yeah. I mean, that's how sick and grandiose a, a strong man <laughs> really is. It's, it's the way our minds work, I think. It's, it's hard to give up. I keep saying, you know, I, I've, I, I officially retired from Worlds last year. And there's, there's part of me that wants to compete. And then I, th I think mentally, you know, mentally I'm fine. But physically, whether my body would let me or not is the, the, the big issue. And it's, it's, I'm, 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 it's so interesting to see the progression year after year and you know when when i began in strongman um the internet consisted of you know a couple of talk forums yeah. for strongman there was no youtube there was <laughs> i mean that really kind of says it all and you know i still don't do um instagram and snapchat and all this other stuff you know um yeah. i generally speaking stay away from screen time i like watching youtube yeah. You know, I get sucked into that and uh, I'll get on Facebook a bit, but God, that stuff's just such a time suck, you know? <laughs> and, you know, the whole business of Strongman, you know, God bless these guys for being able to, um, you know, make six figures a year from it. That's it's just freaking amazing, you know? It's, uh, it's, it's that social media side of things which has helped with that. It's it, CrossFit. CrossFit as well. It's built that demographic... Um, that otherwise would not exist for powerlifting, for strongman. And it's allowed companies to come along and, you know, sell the knee sleeves and sell um, stuff, 
you know, just yeah, it's create a market where there otherwise wouldn't be one and where guys can actually get some sponsorship. Um, it, it hasn't always been like that. No, it really hasn't as, as you know, you know, yourself and, and I know as well, but the, 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 the fact now you can, I mean, I don't know what it was like when you started, but when I started Strongman, that there wasn't really any weight class competitions or even female competitions. Whereas now you can, in a normal year, let's let's forget this year, but on a normal year, you'd have contests going on every weekend for various different weight categories. You've got the heavyweights, the light heavyweights, mediums, you know, lightweights, men's classes, women's classes, juniors, masters. Whereas I know when I started, I'm sure it's the same when you did, there was heavyweights and that was it. But, you know, if you look at a guy like Brian Shaw, I can remember him in, uh, oh, one year, maybe 2011 or something out in California, Anaheim. Um, I try to sit down and talk with him and hang out and chat with him. He was like this the whole time with his phone. Yeah. But, you know, what I didn't realize was, you know, he's a, he's a different generation. He's 11 years younger than me. Is, you know, he's working. Yeah. He's... You know, that's the Twitter, the Instagram, you know, and hats off to him. You know, you look at, um, and you're doing it now. You know, your videos have uh, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, or 200,000 views, some videos, I guess. You know, and these guys have like uh, videos that have a quarter million or a million or several million views, you know, and Eddie's, you know, gone off in a big way and, yeah. and, um, it takes a lot of work, you know, it does. And it does. I made the decision early on to, um, not try to market myself or push products or create stuff because, um, for me, it came back to balance because. It was tough enough to be a strong man because it was really almost a full job doing that um, in terms of fabricating the equipment, housing the equipment, constantly modifying the equipment, not having training partners, dragging all the equipment out from a storage unit into a parking lot, training with it, dragging it all back in. Um, it was just an incredible amount of work. And then eating. Eating on top of that. As <laughs> a firefighter. And then I had a young child and a wife. And, you know, and then all the other stuff that everybody deals with every single day. Yeah. So to add a business interest. And I explored, you know, some strength-related, strongman-related business interests. But I decided that, you know, my plate was plenty full. You sure. know, so my extra time and energy want to, you know, spend a lot of time with my son growing up. Yeah. And I think that's fair enough. And I, t to be honest, it's, it's still only a few guys that are making, you know, decent money from strongman. And that's something that's going at, um, Magnus Samuelson was doing really well, yeah. but his home country is very small. And he was, sure. he was known and he could do, you know, the, all the little local exhibitions around Sweden and maybe some in other countries as well for, uh, the tractor companies and the roof rack companies, you know, Voltra tractor and Thule roof rack. And, you know, who knows half a dozen other, a dozen other Swedish companies and Marius, yeah. you know, Marius, Marius yeah. yeah, he was such a machine. He's doing like, uh, I think one year he did like 30 contests or 50 contests one year, 50 contests and exhibitions. Did like a contest every single weekend, basically and exhibitions as well. And, um, you know, and, but he was a guy that, you know, was literally scr scratching, scraping, and struggling early on. And, yeah. you know, when you come from a background like that and you see opportunity and you really apply yourself and, you know, it gives you a lot of perspective towards the opportunity that's in front of you. 
So, but you know, it's a very short list back then, and even now, I think, like you say, it's it's really it's still, a short it's, list. It's still a short list. There's there's more opportunities, and I think um, I, I hope and think things will keep improving for for the athletes and, and the new generation coming through. But it's it's still minor, you know, minor compared to other sports. But you, it, know, it, it, you have to do it for the love of the sport. This is but absolutely true. The bitterness. Um, that there isn't more financial reward. You know, I think probably every single great strongman at some level is has some kind of bitterness, you know, going back, you know, to all the guys from the 70s to the, to the guys today. You know, Yanni Vertonen said after he won World's Strongest Man, I can't believe this is all there is. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't change your life. It doesn't change your world, you know. No, I mean, you know what? I was fourth in the world three times before I won World's Strongest Man. And I ended up in the finals seven or eight times, like four fourths, a fifth, a sixth, and uh, a first. Yeah. And the first doesn't really change anything other than you can, like, legitimately hold the title and you get just a little bit more attention. Can you, you look know? back and be proud? I mean... You know, someone like myself, I came fourth at Worlds. I've, it's validating, but it's not yeah. going to make you happy if you're not a happy person. It's, sure. Yeah. It's not going to add a bunch of extra digits to your bank accounts and buy you some happiness. You know, it's, it's just what? not it's a stepping stone, and it's yeah. just kind of a validation. And One thing I've – sorry. It's not life-changing. No. One thing I noticed by talking to a lot of the, 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 you know, the past legends, if you like, the guys that have, have kind of laid the foundations of the sport, they did, they did it for the love. He interviewed just a little bit as well. Yeah, he saw Capesy's interview. I, I need to get Kaz on next. That would be, that would be good. Yeah. But, well, um, actually in Hawaii right now. He was uh, okay. living in Alaska, and before that he was living in the Philippines, weathering the pandemic, and he, he called me with uh, some of these, you know, QAnon stuff. And, you know, the cast got heavy thoughts. And like, yeah. Kat, I don't know about all that. He's like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to the Philippines. I'm leaving Alaska. It's too cold. Okay. I'm like, Cass, go see my friends in Hawaii, man. So he's he's in Hawaii. We'll, we'll try to uh, get him hooked up with your. That would be brilliant. I, I'd love to catch up with Cass. I think he's um, an amazing character. But, um, I, I, YouTube channel, huh? Sorry? Talk about the need for a YouTube channel. Oh, he, he would have a great YouTube channel. That would be his just stories with Uncle Kaz would be brilliant. <laughs> that is that's always fun. You 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 must have had some good good times with Kaz over the years. He's Yeah, you know, um and, and just the stories other people tell about him. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going there, right? No, time. no, no. <laughs> I th I think he's the best person to tell these stories anyway. So Anyway, you, you mentioned um, Marius Pujanovsky then. Tell me about your battle with Marius when you actually won the title. The 2006, you know, Marius dominating the sport at the time, I think is probably fair to say. Particularly, it was, I know there was the split and stuff like that, but Marius was an unbelievable athlete and he just... Yeah, and, and you know, um, I saw it. So you asked me to talk about 06, but I, I, I tend to think about more a few years before that and a few years after that. Okay. That, those kind of bookend my impressions of them. So um, Ahola, I'll go back to Ahola. You know, this is a guy, he and I become, became really good friends and like a brother to me. But he was six foot and one quarter inches and 265 pounds. Yeah. And he won World's Strongest Man twice. Incredible. How and does that happen? I mean, he's just so, so, so 
tough and strong and determined. Um, wow. And, th th three world's strongest man contests, first, second, and first. Yeah. That's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> oh, so, um, but when I first saw Marius was actually in Finland, I think the second time I went to the Helsinki Grand Prix, he was there. Yeah. And that was my first time seeing it. And it was like seeing a whole version 2.0. It was like the, the reincarnation and evolution of a whole You know, this, this super athletic, super strong, super tough, super intense strong man. Yeah. And you know, there are a lot of really big strong guys in strong man, but if it's if it's not right here and right here, you know, if they don't have the, the metal and yeah. uh, you know, Hola certainly had it and Marius certainly had it. And um so that was kind of my first impression. And then um so like <laughs> I'll share a few other impressions of them, but I'll I'll jump forward to uh 2008 World's Strongest Man in Charleston, West Virginia. I was standing on the boulevard with Kaz, and the Fingles fingers were going off. I'm just kind of chatting away and spacing out and relaxing, got my straw hat on, hiding out from the sun. And Kaz is, like, watching the action, and we're chatting away. And he's like, oh, he's done. He's done. He just he just turned himself bad. And he, he put, had, had torn up his, his calf. That's you know? right, yeah gastronemius or calf or soleus or whatever and he was limping around that night at dinner and it happened on the fingles fingers and the next day uh it was the squatting the barrels for reps in his group and he couldn't he couldn't squat i think he might have gotten the first or second squat in but yeah. he was so bad that he couldn't stabilize himself enough to squat well somehow you know probably with the assistance of the medical community you know we have some doctors on staff at world's strongest man and this and that but somehow that guy comes back and not only wins the final but he won the plane pool yeah <laughs> i remember not being able to walking and not being able to stabilize yourself and squat you know to like three four five days later winning the plane pool i mean <laughs> He had unbelievable, like, intensity and determination. Yeah. Um, all right, so another, another Marius um, illustration. We, we were in Zambia. I don't know if it was 01 or 03. I guess it was 01, the first time we went to Zambia for World's Strongest Man. Um, there's, like, this bridge, this footbridge over the falls area. Yeah. And it's, like, you know – several hundred feet above the rocks in the water, this elevated sidewalk. And we're all walking through there, uh, Dimmick, Pudzinovsky, myself, and, you know, they rattle something back and forth to each other in Polish, and the next thing you know, Marius just hops up on this footbridge, up on the railings that go side by side, one foot on either rail, just, you know, <laughs> No hesitation, no, but if he'd stumbled and gone, he'd be flying, <laughs> you know, did that so he could have his picture taken, you know, and he's just kind of otherworldly guy. He and Zadrunas, I never really got to know either of them well because of the language barrier. And also I think because of a competitive thing. Sure. But mostly, I think, because of the language barrier. And Zadrunas is a pretty quiet guy and pretty focused and pretty serious. And 
Marius kind of the same way, but you know, Marius with a little bit more cockiness or confidence. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Whatever. Um, let's see. What else? I guess you know. As far as 06, you know, I didn't pay much attention to Marius because it was all about me competing with myself and me being the cool. best. And, um, you know, to strongman is, is, yeah, you're competing against all the other guys, but you're really competing against yourself. Yeah. Uh, the 2006 World Strongest Man when I won, um, the qualifying rounds were actually a hell of a lot tougher on me than, than the finals. And I struggled and stumbled in the qualifying a little bit, you know, two, three, four events in. It wasn't until the last event or two in the qualifying that a couple of events in the qualifying that I really kind of have that confidence and, you know, relaxed. I struggled a hell of a lot with the car walk, and I was really frustrated. And unfortunately, you know, a few days later, I was able to turn it around on the car walk. Um, but, yeah, um, you know, the other Marius Zadruna story is – most people probably didn't notice or don't remember, but I think it was 2000 when we were in Sun City. Zadrunas, Putzinovsky, and Fister were all in the same qualifying round. That's crazy. When you look back, I, I remember watching that. I think, you know, when you look back and you see that group, that's yeah. crazy. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> and and uh, Zadrunas didn't make it to the final that year. Yeah. I edged him out in the Atlas Stones and I got to go to the final. Um, and I think, you know, speaking of Zadrunas, you ask about Marius, but I'll just say this about Zadrunas. Um, he's kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum from Marius. Marius came on like fire and athletic and just phenomenal. 1998, Zadrunas and I were at our first World's Strongest Man, and um, he didn't make it into the finals either. You know, I squeaked in as an alternate. He actually was doing the power, the uh, Atlas Stones, and fell over onto his back with yeah. the stone still on his belly and got sandwiched between the stone. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people remember that. And for me, I don't say that to belittle him or make fun of him, but I say it is it's a testament to his dogged determination and how far he progressed and how long his road work was. So I think it's almost more impressive that, you know, he wasn't this natural, instinctive athlete that got things like that, but he worked his ass off for it. Yeah, he really did. He had that just steady progression over the years. Nothing was rushed. He just got better and better and better. I remember one year at the Arnold, we had this hammer-raising event. It was a little bit like the Fingal's Finger, except it was much heavier, and you got under it, and you sort of um, – like sh yeah, You, like, shoulder-shunted it up, didn't you? Yeah, or you could – use your back or just any way to raise it. And he had a really, really tough guy with it, the time with it. And, you know, obviously he was absolutely one of the strongest guys, guys there from a brute strength kind of yeah. standpoint always, but it wasn't a natural event for him. It wasn't easy for him. Yeah. Uh, he struggled. And then uh, Brian Siders, you know, the IPF world champion power lifter, um, and local guy that I trained with, you know, and the only guy to ever go to the Arnold's that wasn't a strongman, that wasn't a full-time real strongman, 
The only guy ever to cross over and do it year after year and turn in good results there, man. He just got under that thing and just kind of nudged it. And it just went. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Brian was an unbelievably strong guy, wasn't he? Yeah. I remember one year, Brian just destroyed the axle on, on doing some reps, like six reps with a 366 pound axle, or maybe it was seven or eight, I think. And Zadrunas had to go after him. And I think Zadrunas managed to one best. Wow. Axle rep wise and brian told me did you see his face you know he like gave him this evil look of like holy fuck man i can't believe you pushed me <laughs> that hard you know yeah uh, after the axle but um and brian was the first guy to to pull four four tires on each side of of the hummer deadlift off the stage he couldn't lock it out he he got it up to you know 70 80 percent and actually did it twice but it was just kind of oscillating too much at the top or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'm really proud of Brian. He's good. Uh, Do you still stay in contact with Brian? I've never seen bar none with, with a barbell. I never saw that guy miss a lift. The only time I ever saw him miss lifts were training strong, man. Yeah. Does, do, you, do you still stay in contact with him? Because I, I remember, you know, competing against him and watching him and then just seemed to vanish. He's, he's – uh, always been kind of like the abominable snowman and uh you know bigfoot he's always been kind of mysterious and elusive but if if you know where to hunt him <laughs> found and uh my favorite brian cider story is like uh, the first year he went with arnold as a competitor sven carlson and uh you know some of those guys knew that i worked at a group home with mentally challenged adults and stuff managing a group home and they saw Brian with me, and they they thought he might have been more of a client. Brian always has these big kind of bug eye. I remember. <laughs> and my my brother said, "You know why Brian's always got that huge grin? He's because he knows he's the strongest guy in the gym." <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember watching him, and he he was a legitimately when it came to static strength, unbelievable. Uh, I remember he, he was at Worlds in 2008 and hated all the moving events. But when it came to the static stuff, he was a beast. Yeah, and he had a tough – that was his one and only Worlds, and he got a last-minute invite. And he had to do this squat lift thing, and it didn't translate well. No. He wasn't comfortable in that machine. Um, you know, I was just telling someone today who stopped by that when Brian's would get ready for IPF Worlds, frequently he wouldn't have anybody to spot him. And he'd be squatting at home with, you know, 400 plus kilos with no spotters, you know, 410, 420, 430, you know, 900 plus pounds. If he was lucky, he'd have one guy that weighed about 130 pounds or 60 kilos there trying to spot him. (laughs) I I never miss lifts in training. Yeah. That's that's incredible. When we went to the Arnold's and, uh, Sven thought that that might have been one of my clients, but Jamie Reeves and his brother Jockey were there officiating and handling equipment and stuff. And, and they just were very effusive and respectful towards Brian and just really hold him and held him in very high regard. You know, IPF at that time being the gold yeah. standard for powerlifting internationally and, and him uh, breaking the world record total held by Kazmaier that stood for over 20 years, um, broke it like seven times and, ultimately took it to 2650 but whatever yeah absolutely crazy but but don't expect him to cut the grass 
<laughs> I would never ask any strong man to do that unless it was a ride on. I think we'd all be <laughs> a bit more comfortable then. It was garage gym and he had two lawnmowers and I don't think he ever started either one of them, you know, <laughs> guys going in and out of the gym would just kind of take pity on Brian's wife and the situation and grab do it for him. <laughs> take 20 or 30 minutes to cut the grass. You know, I mean, the guy was, uh, you know, a good parent and all this kind of stuff and would show up at work. But I mean, his, his real love was, was the iron. And, uh, so like his, his wife said, Oh, let's build a gym. You know, we're having a child, you know, you need to be home more. He was home, but he was out in the gym. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty... Oh, Tell, tell me about the, the – I want to talk a bit more about 2006 because – and I, I know it's hard sometimes talking about yourself. It's, it, it's, a, it's a weird one. I don't particularly like doing it. But it was such a, an iconic win because, like you say, you struggled in the heats. And then you came back and some of the events that you struggled on – first two events, I, I stumbled a bit. You know, I didn't dominate the first two. And then no. I managed to go on and win – the, the last five events, five. Yeah, was it five, five, five events in a row you won to, to take that title, and and pipping Marius on the stones. How did that feel? To to, I know we've said like it didn't change your life or anything like that, but how did it feel for personal satisfaction? You know, achieving your your ultimate goal, I guess, to be the world's strongest man. It was it was a big relief actually just to win the titles. Really, just a big relief, but. The the um, I don't know if you've heard the 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 phrase flow and it's talked about in ath athletics and in life and you know the the um, sort of standard definition of flow is when your preparation meets your challenges or when your skills and experiences are perfectly matched with your challenges and I've never experienced flow so profoundly as when I did the Atlas Stones in the final yeah and. So some of the characteristics of flow are that um, it's like having an out-of-body experience and you go on to autopilot. So you're literally kind of like watching yourself in slow motion because time shifts as well. And it's not like you're deliberately consciously doing things. They're just happening. And it's almost like you're an observer of yourself. And, um, you know, and then you've got the exact opposite of flow, which is like, you know, you're struggling and, and you can feel – you know, every ounce of a <laughs> yeah. 80 pound stone and, uh, you know, you feel all the muscle fibers in your low back and your hamstrings and you feel all the, you know, ripping of the skin and, you know, that's not flow. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I know what that feels like for sure. <laughs> so like when, when it came down to the Atlas stones, you know, that was, that was like the big deal. That was the last and final event. Marius was half a point ahead and it had been raining in China. Um, just kind of a drizzle so the stones are usually done on kind of a painted plywood surface you know like yeah. in a, a grassy area and then they build a floor and you know it's painted up nice and and uh, so it's a little slick because it's painted wood in the rain and um, you know so I knew I didn't want to hurry because I didn't want to slide so it was just sure. kind of I'd made up my mind to be kind of cautiously aggressive and actually wore Olympic lifting shoes um, just to, you know, minimize any energy lost, you know, um, in terms of the vertical aspect of it, you know, the efficiency there, lifting them from the ground to the, to the platform. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly doesn't help you go from spot to spot to be wearing those kind of shoes, and especially in the rain. 
So I was just determined to, to be uh, efficient and not make any mistakes, just to kind of take my time and realize that it didn't matter how fast I put up the first four stones at all, it would come down to the fifth stone. And, and it's like classic World Strongest Man finale is always, you know, these, these battles that come down to the fifth stone. And, you know, prior to that, the one that stuck out in my mind was uh, Manfred Erbo and, and Magnus Ver Magnuson. You know, yeah, I remember there, there have been several of those over the years, but um, so nothing real. And then Eric Poundstone a few years later, Charleston that, that was, you know? yeah, that was that was crazy, yeah. So, anyway, um, you know, as I'm loading these stones, I hear Marius's stone rattle onto the platform just a split instant before mine were, so I knew I was kind of right on the pace. But I knew none of it mattered, so I didn't get rattled. And uh, just kind of being cool, calm, and collect. And, you know, I put my fifth one in the hole, and I'm glancing over at the same time, and his, his isn't in the hole yet. And just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of like looking at the camera guy saying, did I won? And looking at the <laughs> guys, you know, is it real? Did I win? You know, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because you you have to kind of pinch yourself and, you know, it's it's so freaking grandiose, you know. Ultimately, it's just another strongman contest. It's just, you know, a TV title. And, you know, but legitimately, I, I think it is the most dynamic sport in the world. You know, it it tests a man like no other sport. Yeah. It's like 20 different events um, and all their variations. So there's, you know, what, what tests a person like strongman? I mean, yeah, it's... and, um, you know, so it's, I think it's the most dynamic test of an athlete. Um, and how can you not be a fan of it? How, I mean, but at the same time, it's so horrible and it's so brutal. And, <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it does destroy us, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, the most bittersweet sport. And, you know, if you're truly passionate about something, then you set yourself up for a hell of a lot of frustration and suffering. With passion, you know, comes suffering. And yeah. there's, there's no way around it. If, 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 if you want to be good at something... Yeah, it, it, you have to understand it's not going to come easily. You've got to put, you know, not just time into this, but like you say, it's physically so demanding. It's there's going to be times where you feel that like you're against a brick wall and not going anywhere. But there there are those slim yeah, moments that that just make it all. Or you know, you might win a title or you might win some prize money, but that's that's all, you know, vanishing. It's like you know. Does anybody know who Johnny Perry is? Does anybody know who Mike Jenkins is? Yeah. You know, even among strong men. You know, I, I, I know who they are both well, but yeah, I know, I get the, I understand totally. It's horrible. It's yeah. really a, a shit sport to be in, but I love it. I love it. And it's, it's given me so much and it's done so much. So it's also the, the most wonderful sport to be in. Um, you know, and, and when that odd fan does turn up and, you know, they can't contain their glee at, at being, you know, at getting to, you know, meet you and get an autograph or a picture just, just for a moment, you know. And uh, it's such a fantastic sport because it's just so – it's 
I think that the best way to characterize it is um, it's larger than life personalities attempting challenges that most people would not even conceive of. It's, it's a showcase of human struggle. The essence of strongman is a showcase of human struggle in a way that most people could never conceive of with larger-than-life personas attempting these things and you know, pushing themselves to the maximum. It's, it's freaking nuts, man. And, it is. You know, and every year, the guys are so much stronger. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with YouTube, you know, because... 800 pound deadlift used to be huge. Yeah. Not that long ago. Oh, uh, I, I, I say this to people now because, you know, I, I've, my best ever deadlift was 435, which I did in, in a competition. That's huge. I, it's That's huge. huge. Well, I, I used to consider it huge. At one time, it was huge. Now, you tell someone you lift 430, 435 kilos, you know, well over 900 pounds. You're talking nine, 950 pounds. They're like, oh, that's rubbish. Eddie Hall does 1,100 pounds, or Thor does, you know, it's like the standard has improved. And yes, those lifts are incredible, but we, you know, 800 pound deadlift is a massive deadlift still. You know, when, when I was starting out in 98, um, David Webster's, you know, Sons of Samson books one and two were like the encyclopedias of strength and strongmen. And he talked about Kazmaier. And now Kaz had done an 860 pound deadlift at an exhibition on some banged up shitty Scottish Douglas Edmonds bar that he wouldn't have had in his kit. Yeah. You know, but, you know, so that was like kind of the gold standard, you know, j just 22 years ago. Yeah. And I mean, 800 pounds is still 800 pounds. It's a hell of a lot of weight. But when, when you see teenage kids doing it on YouTube, <laughs> suddenly, you know, YouTube like tears down the barriers of conceptually what's possible and it's done it not just in deadlift but in every single aspect of strongman um you've got all these amateur guys pressing 350 pound logs I think it's just access to information to visually see other people doing these things it sort of mentally makes you break barriers down so you know when when we started there was just you know you're training in your garage or your gym and there's a few people around and that's it so there wasn't every day now if, if i know you don't go on instagram but you know i'll scroll through and there'll be 400 you know 900 pound squats and deadlifts it's just become the norm but that being said that being said i still believe a lot of the the past greats with the modern kind of training, with the modern evolution in, in, you know, nutrition, the guys now take it very, very scientifically. It's not, you know, back when we, we were competing, it was, you have your events day, you train the events, you know, you, you get information from the other guys, but now they're talking to doctors and scientists and they're, they're, you know, their nutrition is, there's athletes that take their own food to competitions. Now they, they don't just eat the, you know, could you imagine in Morocco turning up with your own food? It would have made a huge difference to, to so many people's performances, I, I, I heard from yourself and other people. Almost everyone got food poisoning that year. Yeah. So the, the guys just take it a lot more seriously. So obviously, the performances—they're always looking for those extra few percentages to be better. I think in 2010 at Wingate University or, or uh, World's Strongest Man 2010, I think it was uh, North Carolina. I think that's the right year. It might have been 20, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. 2011. So 
Kaz and I are standing there watching the finals. That was my first year, first of three years working as a commentator. And five guys deadlifted over 940-some-odd pounds. I mean, he and I were just blown away, you know? I mean, yeah. and that's, that's 10 years. That's nine years ago. Yeah. I mean, five, five years prior to that, that, that wasn't happening. No. I mean, it's, it's, it's just mind-numbing. It's yeah. just mind on And, you know, that's for a guy who's, who's competed and won World's Strongest Man, competed 13 years. And what about the guy who's just starting out? <laughs> you know, I mean. It's, it's crazy. I, I, think, I think it's quite intimidating for, for guys starting out. And also, that's just kind of like one metric. You know, I, I think you get these 900-plus pound deadlifters, you know, showing up in the, you know, the guys that make it through to the finals at Worlds every year. Um, it's almost like now the guy who doesn't fly apart, the guy that doesn't get injured yeah. is kind of the one who ends on top, uh, yeah. was, was the way one of my friends put it recently. Um, I got to thinking about that. I wasn't so sure about it, but I think there's some truth to that. So I'm not so sure that, you know, a 900 pound deadlift, um, you know, equate, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, a crazy performance on the Husafel stone or on, um, you know, a farmer's walk. Um, it's strongly has changed a lot. I'm, I don't know that it's the same sport. You know, I do, don't do, know. Do you think from just event changes you're talking about or, or the weight changes? You know, I mean, it's, it's almost like a, a contest to see who can press the four and 500 pound logs and deadlift the, you know the thousand pound deadlifts um I, I think that there's a lot of those those one event competitions now that people focus on still carry you know a Husafel stone yeah 60 70 80 meters let alone 90 or 100 you know, it's, they had the Husafel stone not long ago i guess they had something like that at the arnold not long ago they did have a natural stone as part of the arnold yeah i, I thought those guys would have done better with that especially since it was, you know, kind of announced in advance. You know, so I, I think it is almost a bit more of a, a powerlifting contest. That, so in some respects, you know, you can see a guy like Kielzikowski, um, you know, who can muscle up those giant boulders up to the shoulder, you know, when all the other guys were struggling. Um, that one year at the Arnold, and, and I think one year in Venice he did uh, – like some kind of 380 pound log or 430 pound log for five reps or something with that no, guy does so many just mind boggling things. He's, he's I mean, incredible. Yeah. I, I, I'm not taking anything away from any of these guys. And when you see someone like that throwing those kind of performances, it's just like, you know, strong man has always been kind of mind blowing, but it's just like every year, it's just like crazy. It seems to be like, what's the limit? They just seem to be getting better and better and better. But it also sort of simultaneously seems like some things are kind of getting lost, like uh, like the Husafel stone carry. Um, yeah, I just wonder how many of these guys that can deadlift 900 or 1,000 pounds and press, you know, a 450-pound log can take a spin with the Husafel stone for 60 or 70 meters. Would you like to see a little bit more variety? Like, um, I think, was it, was it 2006 when you won that you did the, um, the stone press overhead? I can't remember. Yeah. What. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that wasn't necessarily 
the heaviest weight being lifted, but very awkward objects. And you managed to cope with it a lot better than, say, you know, guys that might have beaten you for a max log. Yeah, and, I, you know, I don't know that that was the best event, but I think it was a good event. I, I'd like to see uh, more of the kind of natural stones. You know, those were sort of granite blocks. I'd, lo I'd love to see, you know, they did it one year in a cave, like in the, was it in the 90s or in France or something? They, yeah. They, the natural stone block. Yeah, um, I think um, Gary Taylor and Magnus Fur Magnus and those type of guys. I can. You know it's just amazing that Gregor Edmonds and all those folks at World's Strongest Man put on such a fantastic show and such a fantastic contest. They, they're so freaking masterful at being able to pick the right difficulty of weights, yeah. you know, to properly challenge the guys but not squash them. Um, you know, that's, that's truly an art that they're truly masterful with the way they, they fine tune the difficulty of those events. It's very hard to do with the, um, the, the evolution of the athletes. I think, like you say, and I think one of the, the reasons the athletes have improved so much is they just have just the, the equipment is there to train on all the time. Yeah. Now, you know, there's gyms, every gym, strongman gym you go to now has strongman equipment. Even regular gyms have strongman equipment now, whereas that was just non-existent, even when I started. So I'm sure when you, you started, it was... I made my own Atlas stones out of concrete. Yeah. They're all misshapen and all this and made every single piece of equipment I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's now you've got these, these companies like Rogue, for instance, yeah. selling beautifully engineered kit and you know everyone can get the same the, the identical dumbbell that they'll use at the arnold's for instance or the log or or whatever it might be whereas i guess when you guys were competing at the arnold's the only time you got to touch that kit was when you got there yeah you know some of the coolest stuff i've ever seen in strongman are like a 70 year old lady flipping a tire or like a 120 pound guy flipping a 750 pound tire yeah. and struggling for like 30 seconds to get one flip in, you know, get the first one. You know, so Strongman is just fascinating and entertaining, and it's truly accessible and, and uh, to anyone. You know, yes. like one of my favorite memories ever is like uh, my son, when he was like 12 or 13 months old, just, you know, been walking for a few months, and um, I had an ATV or four-wheeler, a quad bike, you know, the, I'd had the ch tires changed and one of the tires was laying off on the driveway and he just walks up to it and starts flipping. <laughs> He's been watching you. <laughs> yeah, and I was a little kid and we were, you know, at a strongman contest in Boston and in the hotel room and he starts flipping the suitcase across the room, you know, Do you... 11 or 12 month old child. And, um, you know, I remember being at a contest in Miami beach when he was like, you know, 15, 16 months. And, he found a, a wooden six by six or four by four block and picks it up. And, you know, that's like my favorite picture ever. It's like him just pressing this block. And how, how old is your son now? He's 20 now. He's does 20. he, does he, does he lift? He lifts a little bit, you know, when the summer, when he was, uh, between ninth and 10th grade, he was about 15. He, uh, actually became taller than dad. Wow. And, um, went up to about 140 kilos. Okay. He's, he's yeah. a big boy then. Not fat. Yeah. Because, and he'd been lifting kind of casually, 
uh, at a friend's gym um, off and on for about four, five, six months. But he, uh, he kind of put the weights down and it's only recently picked him up and he kind of yeah. leaned out and lightened up. And, you know, that, that's the biggest and heaviest he's ever been was five yeah. years ago. And, uh, clearly good genetics, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of kind of wish he, he'd had found a passion for football so, was, yeah. so he could take care of old dad. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, str- strong man's not going to cut it. Just, yeah. before, just before I let you go, Phil, I want to um, – do you follow strong man these days or not so much? Sure, sure. I uh, I try to catch the um, you know some of the world's strongest man like uh, reruns on YouTube or uh, you know look online for them when when the the results are timely. And Brian just had that contest. Uh, yeah, Brian Shaw Classic. And That's I right. he put up some of the deadlift stuff today. I didn't subscribe, Brian. Sorry, I'm <laughs> a really old tight guy. <laughs> But anyway, uh, and, and how, how cool is that? How awesome is that? I mean, I wish I could do stuff like that, but I'm just not quite the businessman that Mr. Shaw is. Yeah, no, he's, well, like you said, when he was um, starting out and he was doing all those, you know, social media posts and stuff, it's paid off big time for him in the long run. Yeah. And, um, I mean, he's he got a hell of a... Really hard on, on both aspects, you know, the business yeah. aspect of Strongman and, and actually being an awesome strong yeah and hopefully it's just going to help the sport keep growing and, and, and events like that will with with the reach of like social media the, the youtube kind of stuff it's, it's getting new people involved into the sport which is is, is only a good thing Brooks has, has done fantastic as well you know something a lot of folks don't realize is just it's just miraculous that world's of man is still occurring year after year and that giants live and um the Arnold classic, you know, with, without, you know, those kinds of things, there'd be no strong man, you know, it's, it's a real struggle for the, for the producers, you know, to, and hopefully they make some money, you know, um, but, uh, I think, you know, for the most part that they could better spend their efforts elsewhere if it was all about money, because, um, there's, you know, hopefully they can turn that around, but we've been saying that for 40 plus years. <laughs> um, you know, early on, I, I talked to Magnus and talked to Kaz about all this stuff, and they said, you know, it's always just been right on the verge of, of going big. And <laughs> people don't realize it's the whole time that there has been Strongman, it's always just been hanging on. <laughs> well, that- it's so cool to see the 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 backyard contest the amateur contests and the weight classes and this and that so in in many ways it has grown and and you can get the equipment now and this and that but it's it's still just kind of this fringe cult thing that that a handful of people you know kind of uh really keep going at the highest level you know contest wise and it's so awesome that brian is now join the ranks and i hope you can continue to do that year after year. yeah i'm sure he will just last very last question then because you you've, you've been lucky enough to compete against many of the best you're obviously world's strongest man yourself out of the guys that you competed against i mean you've you've competed against loads of, of legends of the sport who do you regard regard as the the greatest that, that that you were up against so maybe not not like the whole 40 years of strongman but just within your generation because you've gone I guess you know, from Ahola to you know, I guess Brian Shaw. I think Shaw is is the guy that that uh, 
that I think is really top of the heap um, at one time or another. Zadrunas, you know, he has that kind of, uh, you know, may, maybe a bit more power than Shaw and maybe for longer. Um, Kaz, in terms of believing it with every fiber of your being that you're truly the strongest man to ever walk the planet, at least in your day. And okay. I think to the core of his being, you know, I don't think there's probably anyone who ever really, you know, ate, lived, slept, breathed it, and believed it like that guy. Uh, I agree. Um, I, I genuinely think if Kaz competed now, he'd still be one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, and, and uh, um, you know, Marius, I, I think Marius absolutely is, is one of the, the most impressive. Um, half Thor. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Half Thor never, you know, kind of bowed out kind of early. And um, I think Eddie, Eddie, in terms of uh, he's got that kind of the mindset, willing to risk it all. Very similar to Kaz, I would say, in that respect. Yeah, nearly psychotic, nearly completely out of balance. Yeah. Um, you know, fanaticism, grandiosity, dedication, intensity. Yeah. And that's why, you know, if this fight happens with Thor and Eddie, you know, you can't discount Thor just because of the physical potential there. I mean, that guy's a freaking mutant. Yeah. And, um, but Eddie's, you know, just, you know, he's not going to leave the ring unless he's absolutely given 100%. And yeah. he is thinking about it every waking moment from now until then and doing his best to prepare for it. I mean, he's, if you watch his little documentaries, you know, there are a couple few, two or three that are like an hour or an hour and a half long. And you get a peek behind the scenes of what's, what's going on behind those eyes, man. That, that guy's out there. And, you know, when I, when I met Eddie, um, you know, he struck me because he came up very nice, very humbly and said, just want to introduce myself, you know, I don't know exactly what he said, but it was something like I've enjoyed watching you, you're a hero to me or something like that, or an inspiration or something. I don't know what he said. I don't know if he used the word here, but it shocked me. And it was very respectful and very humbling. And that almost never, ever, ever happens amongst elite strongmen. Mm -hmm. That was a unique experience for me at World's Strongest Man. And it was after I'd become a, a broadcaster and not, not a competitor. And I never really got to know Eddie very well. And uh, I really honestly kind of discounted because here's a guy with a mohawk. Covered I think a lot, a lot of people did early on. You know? know, and, you know, lots of beach muscle and really good at the deadlift and a good presser. But I'd seen that. I'd seen that before. You yeah. know, that I, I wrote him off as one of those guys that, uh, you know, you see comes on like a, a comet, comes on, you know, yeah. like a blazing comet and then he's gone and nothing really happens. You know, they might make it in the top five or something like that, but they're not going to be the guy standing on the podium. They're going to be gone before they've got, you know, the experience and the skill and, you know, the, you know, to make it all go together. Um, so I didn't pay a hell of a lot of attention to him. Yeah. It shocked the hell out of me when he won the strongest man. And I saw him, 
in 2016. When did he win? 17? 17, yeah. I saw him in 2016. Uh, I hadn't been to the Arnold in six years and uh, saw him backstage. And I was like, holy shit, man, that guy does not look good. He looks like he could fall over and die any second. You know, he's just sitting there waiting for his turn to deadlift back behind the stage. And, you know, you see guys that are purple and red and having trouble breathing and, you know, don't, don't look relaxed. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I really, really respect him for exiting the sport. Yeah. What he did. And you have to have some kind of appreciation for someone who's willing to put it all out there. Uh, that's you, not me. No, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm probably similar to yourself, but yeah, I I'm not, I, another day. Uh, th there's other things that are more important, but yeah. You have to respect someone's willingness to go to that level to, to achieve their goals. And, and I think it's fantastic that he's found another avenue for that in this grudge match against Thor. Yeah. And you know, and also another avenue for it in marketing himself as, you know, this persona, this struck world. Well, he just seems to be one of those people that no matter what he puts his mind to, he's gonna give it one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he you know, acknowledges that there's sacrifice with it, and he talks openly about it. And I think that makes him all the more accessible and real and, and valid. And, you know, he, he owns his sense of self. You know, I think that's very empowering to a person to, to not only be honest with themselves, but to be honest with others. And yeah. he has that ability. So, Definitely. Definitely. So, you know, who are the guys that I respect or, or think are kind of the ultimate competitor? Um, it's really, really difficult to pick just one. Um, you know, I think Marius and Zadrunas and Brian and Eddie and Kaz and Ahola, man. I mean, that guy was six foot and one quarter inches and 265. <laughs> you know, everybody... Did you turn up? Did you turn up when That's you saw him? Was like, in room, I'll say that. Yeah. You look at you look at him, and he turns up. You'd be like, "Who's this guy?" And then suddenly he competes, and he's just a machine. Well, there, there's so many guys that that could really shock you. You know, Terry Holland's. You know, when he's big and dumpy and strong, he he moved like lightning. Yeah. I mean, where'd all that speed come from? Fleming Rasmus, same thing. Big dumpy guy, but moved like amazing. Yeah. Yanni Bertanen. Built like a toothpick. <laughs> so much horn power. So much I think that's that's one of the great things. You know, the, the guy right there. I mean, uh, you know, you uh, look, uh, you, I said you look like cousin it from the Adam family. <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? Uh, you know, I'm like, you don't look like a strong man. You don't look like an athlete. You don't look like a power lifter. <laughs> you, know, you must have taken it personally because, like, then you end up a few minutes or a few days later or a year later, like smoking me and everybody else on the farmer's walk, you know, the only one that edged you was Marius. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know who, who the top is, but I, I think um, Eddie's definitely got that sort of um, otherworldly, other level thing that Kaz had. Um, I don't know if he has it quite the same way that Kaz did, but <laughs> in different eras. And, um, you know, the other thing is Zadrunas. I think being world's strongest man, I think 
sorry, Mr. Hall, but I think it means the ability to endure. You know, one of the qualities, one of the defining characteristics of strength is the ability to endure. And Zadrunas, you know, you had him on recently. I watched the interview because I know very little about him because he's not a pocket of guy. But 30 years, you know, from a teenager. Well, his first Worlds was the same as yours. Yeah, 98, but he was training strength before that. And he's kind of still going. Um, still competing now, yeah. And he won, what, four Worlds? And eight Arnolds or something like that? Unbelievable. I kind of think the Arnolds was, was suited for him and tailored for him, arguably, in some ways. And He won two, two of the ifs. And his wife loves Zadrunas, and they like picking events year after year that worked well for Zadrunas, you know. Not to belittle him, but you know he won all those contests and he won them all legitimately. And it took him a long time to get his first World Strongest Man, but he got four of them. Mm. And when he won World Strongest Man, I was an announcer then, and I was the first person to run up to him with a T-shirt for him yeah. to sign. And he signed it. I said, "No, you're not done." <laughs> Did not put WSM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I gave that T-shirt to Terry Todd, but I, I think that you have to really look at someone's longevity when you think about this. But, yeah. you know, again, he's not that sort of natural, intuitive athlete that someone like Marius was. Yeah. You know, so there, there are a lot of different ways to consider it. Well, it's no, it's so true. I mean, your, your name would always go... One more, motherfucker. Me! Yes, there we go. That's what we want to see. I was just going to say, you did pretty well for, you know, I, you, you were never the power lifter. You were never the, the, the best at the squatting and the deadlifting and, and those type of things. But when it came to those athletic moving events, the awkward strongman events, you just yeah, had that natural power. They were kind of a natural fit. But, you know, I noticed like in 2001 or 2000 or 2003, all the kind of dumpy powerlifter guys that had the brute strength and the static strength. Holy shit, now they were like going really fast in the farmer's walk. And now they're like <laughs> zooming around with the Conan's wheel. So, you know, it's always evolving and it's always been evolving. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I was very fortunate to be kind of like uh, in the top 10 the whole time I competed. I think I was legitimately in the top 10 always when I competed. Um, top 10 in the world and hopefully you know somewhere closer to the top five but almost never the top one two or three you know it's just one time that that i was able to squeak through you only that, need to do it once well that was one that the ifs the split had occurred and all that kind of stuff and i was with ifsa for a little while as well and i think i finished maybe sixth in the world that year or something i can't remember but um there's such a huge difference between you know, in my era, it was Magnus Samuelson and Yoko Hola and Sven Carlson. Those those were the top guys. And the era before that, it was Ricky Kiri and Magnus Vera. But those top one or two guys and occasionally a third guy, they're head and shoulders above the guys that are third place, fourth place, fifth place, sixth place. You know, in any sport, it's like that. You've got one or two guys who can win at all times. Yeah. And... Set, you know, third, fourth, fifth, it's a different tier. 
Yeah. Oh, I, I can vouch for that. <laughs> I've been up against the likes of Zadrinus, Brian Shaw, Thor, Eddie, those kind of guys. But it's, yeah. um, it's been awesome. I still yeah. enjoyed it. And I've, I've had, like, like you did, I've had my days where I've beaten them all. So yeah. it's, um, we can always look back and enjoy them. To, uh, to be on your show and relive some of this kind of stuff. But it's, it's mind-blowing to you know, think back that, yeah, I was one of those guys. And I got to do that stuff. And, you know, I'm sick enough and grandiose enough to occasionally fantasize about doing it again. I'd love to see that. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Really, really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you again for coming. It means a lot. And um, Have a beautiful Christmas and holiday and all that. You too. Stay safe. I hope your family have a great Christmas. Um, wear a mask, damn it. And more importantly than that, I want to see you back competing in a Masters comp. You, you and me going head-to-head in a Masters show. Sure, if you... What you wish for, Shell. <laughs> Let's bring it. Bring it. <laughs> Take care, Phil. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.